good night. Hello, cocktail lovers. Welcome to Paris Cocktail Talk, the show brought to you by 52 Martini's Guide to Paris Cocktail Bars. I'm Forrest Collins, and I'm here to talk to you about cocktailing in the French capital and bring you some other small batch spirits news from France and beyond. Uh, we're really excited because this month it is Agave Week. Agave spirits include tequila, mezcal, which tequila is a mezcal technically. We'll get into that a little bit more later, but we want to talk to you a little bit about what agave spirits mean and um, and also kind of let you know what you can do with the, with the festival to learn a bit, little bit more about it this month. And so in, in celebration of all of that, we've got David down here. David McGarris. Am I saying your last name right? Yes, correctly. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Okay. So David, he's French-Mexican entrepreneur. He is um, dedicated to promoting, promoting mezcal and other traditional agave distillates um, here. He co-founded the distribution company Mezcal Brothers M3 Liqueurs. You correct me if I'm saying anything wrong, David. Um, he also has a cocktail bar called La Mezcaleria in the 1K Hotel in Paris. And um, he's also launched Mezcal.fr, uh, Mezcal.fr, um, which is the first store dedicated to agave spirits. And um, the well, and he's involved with the festival Viva Agave, which is coming up from 20 to 25 March. We'll put a link to all those things on the website. So um, stay tuned for those. He is also um, the co-author of a book, which I'm really excited to talk to you guys about because I just finished reading the whole thing this weekend, and it's pretty awesome. He's co-author with Domingo Garcia and um, French spirit specialist Alexandre Vantier, which you probably know him from another two episodes we did with him on rum a couple of times. So they wrote a book all about mezcal. Pretty exciting. It's called Mezcal, l'esprit du Mexique. I think it's only available in French. Is that right? Yes, for now it's only in French. Okay, I'm hoping you're going to translate that because this yeah. is actually a really good book. Anyway, it's published. It was published in 2017. Yes, that's correct. Okay. In October. And it was also awarded the L'Académie Culinaire de France uh, Prix of 2017. Is that right as well? Exactly. You guys, guys got a prize. That's awesome. Anyway, okay, enough of my introduction. I've been drinking some mezcal, so I'm just getting overly excited. So I want to say welcome. Thank you for coming, David. Thank you, Forrest, for inviting me. So is there anything that I missed when I was giving that big, long, a little bit mezcal-infused introduction about you? I think that was pretty much. Okay, good. Now, now it's all on you. What is mezcal? So mezcal is a big family of agave spirits, Include mezcal, but also tequila, raicilla, bacanora, sotol. Uh, well, well, we'll talk about that later. Uh, raicilla, uh, comiteco. Legally, mezcal is mezcal and tequila is tequila, of course. And these are two different uh, denominations de origen, which are a controlled appellation of origin, if that's correct in English. I don't remember exactly the correct term. It is. And so... Um, so just for listeners, because I get what you're saying and I feel like it took me a while to kind of get, understand. So, so tequila is made from a plant. It's made from the blue agave. Mezcal is made from agave, but, uh, but nine different agave plants. Is that right? 14 spices. 14, sorry. Yeah. 
So, okay. So all of these agave spirits are made from different plants. Um, uh, and mezcal is like the umbrella term for everything that's made for all these. So originally mezcal means all the agave that are all the spirits, uh, distilled from agave. Okay. So that's the, that, that would be the, the original term. Uh, it means uh, agave cooked under earth. So it's only a part of the production process of mezcal and tequila. But now tequila has been um, trademarked as a spirit and mezcal as another spirit. So now there are two different spirits. They have the same origin, so Mexico. And there are now two different sp spirits, like legally mezcal can be made out of 14 kind of agaves and tequila only of one. And then also the states where they can be produced. Tequila is mainly made in Jalisco, but also can be made in five other states. And uh, mezcal is made in nine states in Mexico. That's where I was getting Different that nine states. from. I knew I had read nine in your book, but okay. Exactly. Okay. So I actually, I do want to talk about the, um, so we've talked a little bit about the, yeah, the um, designation of origin, the DOC. Um, I want to talk about also the production process. So I think that's particularly interesting with mezcal. We all know tequila. We all know that. But I think that it's really interesting with mezcal, how it's produced, and the fact that it's kind of a little bit more... Um, craft. Yeah, craft. I mean, I hate to overuse that word, but it's it's very like... Uh, authentic. So can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So tequila, as it knows, it is known now, uh, unfortunately, has been very technolo technologized, technified. And most of the tequilas you'll find today are made in an industrial, in industrialized way. Of course, you have amazing tequila, craft tequilas, traditional tequilas right now, and actually more and more available in Europe. And mezcal, Uh, as it remained less trendy and and most of the people who drink tequila in the states would not uh, wouldn't know mezcal so mezcal kind of remained out of the globalization process so the techniques used today to produce the most of the mezcal you'll find in a shelf from new york to paris to london to any big city uh, around the globe would be made in the same way that it was made 40 uh, 400 years ago so this is the most important so today mezcal is made uh, um, from agave, as uh, any other agave spirits. And the first stage will be to, to, to harvest the plants. So the plant, the agave plant, is uh, located everywhere in Mexico. You have different spaces depending on the terroir, depending on the region where it grows. And uh, it will take up to 15 years to reach maturity. So maturity is the perfect time where the plants contains the maximum of sugars that will be then used to transform into alcohol. So the producer will go to the to the fields and uh, see if the agave had reached maturity. If it does, it just harvests it, uh, cut all the, the, the leaves because the leaves of the plant are not used in the process and keep only the earth, which is called the piña, which means pineapple because it just looks like a big pineapple which is, makes sense. The second, the second part is the, the cooking of the agave. So the cooking is made in an under-earth pit, so a big hole, a, three meters di diamet um, uh, a diameter of three meters, and you put wood in, in, um, in, the, in the hole. Then you light the wood, you put some rocks, you wait for the wood to just consume itself, and the rocks to get uh, red hot. Then you'll put the agave, 
you put a layer of uh, a layer of uh, of dirt or of um, of any uh, all the, the yeah of the of earth on it. You cover it with like uh, um, a fabric uh, paper, and you you let the agave cooks for like four to six days, depending on what you want as a result for the mezcal. Then, when the agave are cooked, uh, you're gonna crush them with a meal usually uh, called Taona, which is a big rock uh, which is carried by a horse and that will crush the agave. They fiber the agave. These fibers and the juice are then fermented naturally, whether in wooden tanks, can be in uh, salmon tanks, in plastic tanks. Usually it's made in wooden tanks. Tanks uh, in Oaxaca, it's uh, usually always like that. It can be also in a cow skin, which is more rare. And then double distillation, whether in clay pot alembics or in uh, steel alembics. That's the process. There is no aging. It exists, but it's not traditional. Again, we're talking about the mezcal as it is consumed in the in the pueblos, in the in the regions where it's produced. So no aging. The the most um, uh, uh, sometimes producers age mature. Maybe it's the better word in glass. So this will um, kind of balance the taste of the flavor of the agave with the high trends of the alcohol, but never in, never in wood, never in any other kind of uh, recipient, always in glass. So it doesn't um, uh, inf- absorb the absorb flavors. The flavors. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, and I have to say to listeners, I have read um, David's book, not just David, but his, David and his co-authors. And I think that it's really interesting to see the photos because I've heard so many times about how mezcal is made and it's very artisanal, but it's really very interesting to see. You can see these pictures of it is a pit in the ground where they're putting the, um, the, you know, the wood that's on fire and then rocks. And then these, the center of the plant, um, that's, you know, the leaves have been cut off. And so it's, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty impressive. So I would recommend if you're interested grab his book and look at the photos because that, because that kind of brought a whole new, I guess, understanding to me of like how that works. Um, even though I'd heard about it multiple times, but to see photos really helped me to get the process and understand how it is very, um, very artisanal. It's not very industrial. It's really people that are chopping leaves, throwing them in pits. And so I think that's pretty interesting. Now, speaking of industrial versus artisanal, there are a lot of misconceptions about mezcal, a lot. So why don't you tell me about what you think the biggest misconceptions are that people think? Well, of course, when when I started promoting mezcal in France five to six years ago, the first, uh, always the first um, uh, uh, reaction of the client would be, oh, where is the worm uh, in the, at the bottom of the bottle? And that would annoy me a lot, even though, uh, this tradition comes from Mexico and was made by a Mexican entrepreneur on his brand called Gusano Rojo, which is uh, an industrial as mezcal that's mainly available in airports in Cancun and, and Playa del Carmen, which is ni- a nice way to discover mezcal. But actually mezcal is not a... Tra- this worm at the bottom of the bottle comes from years and years of, uh, uh, of misconception of the Mexican people, of the Mexican culture, trying to make them as like cowboys or like uh, bad bad hombre as they always say is like bad guys and 
So the 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 the, the marketing concept behind a worm would be the last sip. The the person that would drink the last sip would eat the worm as something very macho, very Mexican, as they would like to see. You know. So that's disappeared completely. Actually, uh, nowadays most of bartenders and industry people would never ever uh, ask for a worm at the bottom of the bottle. That disappeared kind of everywhere. And we're lucky because the mezcal available today in most of the bars is craft mezcal, artisanal mezcal. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I take it that the worm was a little bit kind of a marketing gimmick. It wasn't, there's no purpose for the worm in there. I mean, the worm, you will find the worm in the in the plant, but it's not, there's no purpose. It's not part of mezcal, right? Yeah, actually, insects in Mexico are wildly consumed, especially in Oaxaca, you have uh, grasshopper, you can eat gusanos as well. Now the bottle had been taken out of the bottle. So you would drink mezcal and pair it with a salt, mm-hmm. which is smoked and uh, and um, grinded with worms. Yeah, That is traditional, even though like the most exigent people, mezcal people, were drinking straight without salt, without nothing. Uh, I understand the fact of uh, the fact of using uh, uh, orange and warm salt. It's kind of a good way to start uh, mescal degustation. Yeah. Do you do you drink it that way with the orange and the warm? I, I like warm salt personally. It's spicy. It's got this umami flavor. But um, is that how you drink your mescal? I love warm salts, but usually don't use the warm salt because I don't have it always on me. It's kind of forbidden to import it to France. Not forbidden, but very hard to import. Oh. Insect natural, not transformed. And actually, like even the producers of the warm salt, most of them wouldn't be able to do an invoice. So it's kind of hard to import. But some bartenders like a Sebastian Candelaria would make it own uh, warm salt, uh, importing the insects from France and the chiles from Mexico and just mixing them. And he had a very nice recipe. I could give it to you. Mm, well, I would like that recipe. And I guess I've been lucky because I've had a few people who've come from Oaxaca who have brought me some very nice warm salt. So, um, uh, but yeah, I'm very up for that recipe. But speaking of bars, bartenders, we're, uh, I want to talk a little bit about I think like in the cocktail world, mezcal has not, it's, it's not so new anymore. I think it's been on the shelves for craft cocktail bars. I think Candelaria was like really on the forefront of bringing tequila and mezcal, uh, uh, you know, onto the cocktail scene. So I think it's not a surprise for maybe me or you. How do you feel that it's being, uh, I don't know, appreciated or accepted by the general public now, mezcal here in France or elsewhere? I really have to be honest that I'm very impressed on how French people have adopted mezcal. Uh, when we started the company uh, five years, six years ago, everyone would be like, you're crazy, mezcal, it's so niche. Uh, you won't like, you'll never make a living out of this spirit, you know. And uh, when we started, we, we would sell like some bottles, especially to cocktail bars, because they would use it in a cocktail but most of the bottles would be uh, a mezcal for for cocktail, for like pouring uh, uh, purposes. But now today we have a, a big, big uh, consumers that would buy mezcal for sipping. So they had, that means they have consumers that would go to the bar and ask for straight mezcal, expensive glasses up to 25 euros for like 40 ml. So that's that shows how French people have adopted that. And I think that's completely linked 
maybe uh, to the terroir that French people would understand perfectly with different kind of wines, the wine regions, the Champagne, the Cognac, the Armagnac. Actually, France and Mexico uh, share a lot of uh, control appellations on spirits and wines. And spirits, and um, um, one of the biggest countries in the world of uh, AOCs on spirits are Mexican France. So they share that. And French people understood the difference of a mezcal from, coming from Oaxaca, mezcal coming from these other states or made differently with different kind of alambics. And France had become, in the last five years, the third biggest importer of mezcal in the world after the States and the UK. So that shows a lot. <laughs> Wow. I actually find that very surprising. I mean, I'm excited to hear that because I live in France, so it's nice to be able to have more mezcal on tap here. Um, So for people who are here and who want to learn more about mezcal, what do you recommend that they do? Like, where do they go? Where do they start? Um, It's not an inexpensive spirit. It's a little bit expensive because of, I guess, the production that goes behind it. So Somebody here or somebody in the States, how do they start? So sometimes I I like to think that people can start right away with a very traditional mezcal. As for traditional, I would say uh, above 45 degrees um, uh, made, of course, out of 100% of agave, which is the case of all mezcal exported. But I think because I had the experience of making people discover the spirit, my friends uh, at the uh, at the trade shows where like people that n- never heard nothing about mezcal go, I think it's better to start with like a 40 ABV mezcal. For example, mezcal union that probably you know if you live in the States, which is for me a very good compromise between a low ABV mezcal, which is 40 degrees low ABV in mezcal, and a very good mezcal that has a, a, a nice lasting. It's a blend of two agaves. You could also go for Coche Espadine, which is 47 degrees, but very well made. So you, it's very sweet, not too smoky, and goes perfectly straight or in cocktails. That would be the best way to start. Actually, cocktail, you'll feel the mezcal because mezcal is very strong in a cocktail. You'll feel it right away. But starting sipping it and then having it, having it in a cocktail could help a lot. Okay. Now, I also think people here in Paris might enjoy um, learning about mezcal during the Agave Festival, which is happening this month. So can you tell us a little bit about what's that about? What can people expect? Uh, Give us the rundown. Yeah, so uh, we're very happy to launch the second edition of Viva Agave this year. The first one was in 2017, another name. So this year it's Viva Agave. It's from the 2025 of March. It will be... uh, two big sides of it. It will be events in different bars, Mezcaleria, Candelaria, Botanero, uh, Chilango, most of the most the most famous Mexican sp- uh, places here because we wanted to thank these places to promote Mezcal throughout the year. And uh, uh, a third trade show uh, at the Hotel Inca in Paris, in Le Marais, uh, where 20 uh, brands will expose their products. And we also have a new very cool um, a stand where we'll gather m- a lot of brands that are not available in Europe, so to make people discover them, called Agavotech, in which we'll have uh, 60 different products not available here. That's very new for the public, and 
where you could you'll be able to taste everything and discuss with some producers. Of course, we'll have conferences, master classes with inv uh, people invited from Mexico that come here, uh, tequila producers, uh, brand creators, uh, bartenders from Italy that are like very cool mezcal ambassadors in Europe. Uh, we'll have a lot of activities. Um, I think that's very exciting. And this is the second Agave Festival here. Is that right? There was yeah. one a couple of years ago. Um, I was very interested in the first one. And um, yeah, I think it's very cool. How long have you been living here? Forever. Forever. Okay. Me too, forever. Because I'm only 18. I've only been living here. No, I've been living here for a really long time. But I think it's really interesting because now we have like, a, you know, I remember 10, 15 years ago, we all wanted tacos and Mexican food, especially the Americans. And now I feel like it's it's really getting kind of interesting. We're getting some really great imports and some really great um, cross-pollinization pollin between Mexico and France, which is super exciting. So I don't know. I think that's very cool. Um, and I have one other thing to say to you, which is in your book, you talk about you kind of um, you tie uh, mezcal to different spirits. And I feel like you missed a couple. And I know you know this because I kind of gave you a little heads up on my questions. And you were talking about how it relates to vodka or how it relates to gin. I feel like mezcal is like absinthe. It's a little bit misunderstood. Like everybody thinks absinthe is going to make you go crazy. They think mezcal might be tied to mescaline or it might be. And I think that. And I also think it also ties in a little bit to pisco, Chilean pisco, which is really like made with these like very artisanal methods. What do you have to say about that? It's very fun because we, I don't remember if you wrote this in the book, but I like to say that mezcal, it's the Mexican absent because uh, on the process, well, it's a craft process, like most of traditional spirits, but also on how it was perceived by the Mexican society. For a long time, uh, mezcal was considered as the poor alcohol, the alcohol for the borrachos, like the drunk people or the poor people, the peasants and the artists. I actually discovered mezcal when I was 14 with my cousin who was part of a rock band in underground bars, maybe illegal bars, I don't know, with like mezcal in plastic bottles just written with written uh, uh, stuff on it. And a lot of artists got inspiration from usually uh, alcohol or other illegal stuff. So mezcal was part of... Um, a movement of artists that would help the promotion of it in Mexico City and try to make it back to where it belongs. It means to a very nice spirit. But yeah, definitely a lot of people in Mexico would say uh, a mezcal is for uh, the, the borrachos, for the drunk people, as absent was. And also, but there is a difference here because absent, as it was used to, to be made, contained something that would make people had kind of hallucinations. While mezcal... Even though it's a very strong spirit in ABV, and if you drink a lot, as any other spirit, you'll get hallucinations. I mean, like, you'll get drunk. Um, uh, mezcal is not linked to any weird substance. So a lot of people in America, especially, would link mezcal to mescaline, especially after watching Las Vegas Parano, in where yes, yeah. they do the, 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 the omission. Also, the beat generation in the 50s would, like, uh, use mezcal as a psychotrop substance. But actually, mescaline... It's made from a cactus called uh, peyote, and it's a drug, a real hallucinogenic drug, 
which uh, is illegal, and uh, mezcal is made out of agave, which is a completely different spice. Which is not spice. even a cactus, actually. It's not a cactus. Yeah. Please. So, listeners, I know that it's. We all think that absinthe will make you go crazy. We also might think that mezcal is linked to mescaline, but it's not. It's not even made from a cactus. It's not peyote. It's a different thing. Exactly. So. And it came from the fact that in in America, in English uh, used in America, mezcal is written with a S and mescaline is written with a S as well. While in Mexico, it's with a Z. So, so is that why, like, I feel like even in craft cocktail circles now, when we're writing about mezcal, we're always writing it with a Z. Is that why? I mean, I feel like any ang- Anglo writing still, like in the craft co- cocktail circles, writes mezcal with a Z, even though in English and American English, it might be with an S. Is that why? So the, re- the correct term, the correct spelling is with a Z for okay. sure. And then in some countries, in France as well, the, 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 the dictionary shows with a S or with a Z. So you can choose, but actually it should be with a Z and not with a S. Okay. Well, I do write it with a Z because people tell me I should. And I also see Christiana right. who's looking at us saying, it's almost time to wrap up. So I'm going to take this occasion to say, David, can you tell us about a cocktail that the um, listeners can make with mezcal? Yeah, so there is, mezcal is very old, but at the same time in the industry, in the industry is very young. So there is no, as a lot of other spirits, classic cocktails on mezcal yet. Even though there is this one, I'm going to share the recipe with you, which was created by Joachim Simo from the Pouring Ribbons in New York, that you probably know, that the story tells, and I actually have the story was told by him, so I think it's a true story. He was in Paris for the opening of Candelaria. And he created this cocktail called um, uh, Naked and Famous for the opening, which was one of the first mezcal cocktails on the Candelaria uh, uh, cocktail list, which is very easy to make. It's 25 milliliters of mezcal, 25 milliliters milliliters of Chartreuse Jaune, 25 milliliters of Aperol, and 25 ml of uh, um, uh, lime juice. So it's easy to make at home. It's a very, very balanced cocktail. I love it. And it's, I think, in a couple of maybe 10 years, going to be the classic mezcal cocktail, as it's the only one that people would know um, how to make cocktail with. I do remember that. Um, I do remember that cocktail from the early days of Candelaria, and uh, and I like his cocktail. So you've inspired me. I'm going to go home and make that pretty soon. Great idea. Um, and I think that's pretty much it. Uh, is there anything else you want to share with the reader? Well, it's not pretty much it. We could talk a lot, but I think it's time for me to wrap up. Is there anything else that you need to say before I do my closing remarks? Well, just thank you again for inviting me and talking, letting me talk about mezcal again and again. Thank you for coming. And listen, um, his book is really interesting. Uh, it's only in French for the time being. I hope they're going to translate it into English. I will put links to all the stuff in the show notes, but It is really a book that basically gives you everything you need to know about mezcal. You could get something that was bigger and longer and more pedantic, but if you want one-stop shopping for learning about mezcal, as well as like learning where to drink it, um, how to drink it, there's cocktail recipes, there's a different rundown on different um, cocktail brands, there's suggestions for where to go. It's a really a great book. It's uh, as I said, I'll put stuff in the in the show notes, but it is Mescal L'Esprit du Mexique. Um, so more about that in the show notes. And I think that's pretty much a wrap for this month's episode. But 
Do come back next month and we will be interviewing wine educator Preston Moore about wine and cheese pairings. And if you're looking for more cocktail and drink talk between shows, head to our site, www.52martinis.com. And if you'd like to put me in your pocket, download our iOS app, which is a guide to Paris cocktail bars. As always, thank you, David, uh, to today's guest. And thank you listeners for tuning in and downloading. Additional thanks to World Radio Paris for editing and production, to Emily Dilling of Perry Paysan for show notes and web assistance. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.